Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. All right, stand up on your feet, take your Bibles, please. Thank you. And turn to Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. Are you ready? Let's do it. This is going to be great. Ezra 1 and verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Let's read chapter 3, verse 8 in Ezra. And then I'll have you sit down and I'm going to continue to read some scripture. But let's go ahead and read chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shantiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began to work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. You, you may be seated. I'm going to keep reading. Ezra chapter um, 3 and verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood with their apparel and their trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Esaph, and the cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, quote, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. I want you to say that with me. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. That's different than a regular shout. A great shout. And they praise the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I want you to go to Ezra chapter 4. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. No kidding. They troubled them in the building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Go to Ezra chapter 5. You guys are right? Ezra 5, and I'm going to sew this all together in a beautiful package. It'll help you that by the end of this service, you'll leave this place on fire and super encouraged in the most profound ways. That's what I'm believing for. Ezra chapter 5 and verse 1. Now the prophet Haggai, Zechariah, son of Ido, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. That is filled with revelation right there. Verse 2. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shantiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Ezra chapter 6, verse 8. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of those Jews for the building of the house of God. Let the cost be paid by the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men because they are not hindered. Verse 9. 
And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs, for the burnt offering, the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I also issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it. Got to love the Old Testament. Hallelujah. <laughs> let him be hanged on it. Let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. And may the, may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Doris, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. Verse 13, our final verse, and I'll pray. The governor of the region beyond the river, there are their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. Verse 14, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered. They what? They prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built and finished it. I want you to say that. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, according to the command of Cyrus, comma, Darius, comma, and Exarxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is in the sixth year in the reign of King Darius. Hallelujah, let's pray. I looked up Adar. I thought for sure it would be December 2020, but it's not but it still applies. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Move in power. Amen. This passage of, these passages of Scripture we looked at uh, are, are plenteous, and uh, we have been reading our, our Bible program, uh, Bible reading program for the year, and I'd encourage you to jump on and be a part of that. If you haven't, you haven't started doing that, it's, it's great. There's hundreds of people that are part of this Bible reading program. You can find it on version, and it's, it's McShane. McShane? McShaney, I get it. McShaney is the name of the pastor from the 1800s that put it together in one year, 365 days. It brings you through the entire Old Testament and the New Testament twice and the Psalms twice. And we've been doing this. I'd encourage you to be a part of that. I'm encouraging your kids to be a part of it. I encourage you to talk about the Word around your table. Put the phones down. Take a moment. Did you read the Word today? And, and, and then if they say no, well, then you, know, you can encourage them to read it. And you model, you read it, and discuss some of the things that God put on your heart. In the process of doing that, the book of Ezra has just lit up like a neon sign. And we even prophesied uh, in one of our morning times of prayer out of Ezra. It's amazing, uh, and, we, and we read that as Ezra 6. What's encouraging to me is these, these texts as they rebuild the temple that was destroyed. And um, we all need encouragement. Every single person needs encouragement. I, at times, use sports illustrations because I played sports throughout, you know, middle school and then high school and then played it's, I still play. They call me a decommissioned athlete, but that's a younger person saying that, so I don't think they know what they're talking about. Amen. I don't receive that would probably be more accurate. I am not decommissioned. And all of the older people said, I am not decommissioned. Amen. So I do remember long ago uh, when I was on a championship lacrosse team, I was a senior Lacrosse is a North American game, North American, uh, Native American game. And uh, I played, my dad put my first lacrosse stick in my hand, I think when I was about four. 
he played in college and and uh, encouraged us to play. So when I was a senior in, in college, we uh, pardon me, senior in high school, we were a championship team. We went, we were going to the very final game, and my coach pulled me out, pulled me aside, and said, "All right, Brack." And I played a tack. For those of you who know what that is, and uh, that was perfectly suited for that. And so. He, I remember him pulling me aside, and I thought he was just talking to me, but he did this to about four or five guys, as good coaches do. He pulled me aside and said, Bracken, you're a senior. This is your game. I said, yes, sir. He said, you're going to play the best game of your life. I need you to come through for me. Do you understand, son? I said, yes, sir. I understand. He said, you're going to play the best game of your life. Do you understand me? I said, yes, sir. I'm going to play. He said, give me everything you got. I said, I'll give you everything I got. Just get, do this thing. Let's do it. And we're like, ah! Anybody know what I'm talking about? We won. I don't know if I had the best game of my life, but some of the other guys he talked to, I think they had the best game in their life, and we won. The, this is an amazing, amazing verses of Scripture to understand that God wants you to succeed, and success is this. Success is having what God says you can have, being who God says you can be, and doing what God says you can do. And all throughout the Word of God, you will see God constantly encouraging you, constantly challenging you. And in this day and hour that the prophet saw far off that you and I are living in, he says to you, come on, come on, this is the game. This is the championship. I'm telling you, if you have a song right now, it's time to sing it. If you have a gift right now, it's time to use it. It's time because we're closer towards the end of all time and you and I have been given this one moment, one brief moment called life to live in, to do something for him. And I, as I get older, I think about that. And I'm thinking, man, I, I got to put some points on the board. I want to I wanna lay something before his feet on that day, that great and dreadful day, the day of the Lord. I want to lay something at his feet. It's the least I could do considering what he did for me. He snatched me like a stick out of the fire. He set me free from the yoke of bondage. Come on, anybody else excited that you're saved, you're healed? Come on. And if you're not, if you're not, well, you're in the right place. If you turn to 2 Chronicles uh, 36, verse 20, this gives you an understanding of what's taken place here in the verses that I read. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. And there they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the words spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept her Sabbaths to fulfill 70 years. So Jeremiah 25 and verse 11, if you, if you can move there quick, go for it. We'll put it on the screen. Jeremiah 25 and verse 11 is the prophetic word spoken by Jeremiah. They called him crazy. It was a fire shut up in his bones that he couldn't help but to preach and teach and declare the word of the Lord. And Jeremiah 25, 11, and this whole land shall be desolate and an astonishment to these nations. You shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years, and it shall come to pass. Everybody say that. It shall come to pass when the seven years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I'll make it a perpetual des desolation. In Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. 
So Jeremiah is prophesying this before they're led off into captivity. They go off into captivity and the temple is destroyed. And they're there 70 years. Prior to that, so I don't know, what what's 150 minus 70? 80. So 80 years prior to Jeremiah, there was a man, his name was Isaiah. And Isaiah had a word from the Lord, and put it on the screen if you would, Isaiah chapter 44. And the word of the Lord in Isaiah was over this man Cyrus, who's not even born yet. Talk about an accurate prophetic word. So Isaiah prophesies before the destruction of the temple and before Cyrus is born, who says of Cyrus, Isaiah 44, 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, and by the way, he's the only anoint, the anointed one we know as Jesus. But if you understand Old Testament, the, the, the anointed one is the ruling and reigning king, would be called the anointed one. So the final anointed one is Jesus, Yeshua. But this is the only Gentile, Cyrus, is not a Jew, he's a Gentile. There's Jews and Gentiles. There's Jews, everybody else is a Gentile. So he's the only Gentile that's called uh, who's called God's anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've held, to subdue nations before him, to loose the arm of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. Go on the next verse. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. Let me just stop and say, this prophetic word comes. Now, by one account, the historian said that Cyrus actually saw the book of Isaiah, and took it as a, as a battle plan for taking down the city that said could not be taken. Babylon was considered that the walls could not be penetrated. Babylon was considered, a, an, it's an impossibility to take out Babylon in that day. It would just be, it'd be like unthinkable. They had chariot races on the walls. And the children of God, the children of Israel are there inside Babylon, inside the gates for 70 years. Daniel finds out about the book of, gets the book of Jeremiah, reads and understands from the book of Jeremiah that the 70 years are just about completed. So you know what he does? He reads the prophetic word and he goes, oh God, oh God, it's almost here. God, do it, do it, do it. Dude, bring the deliverer. Lord, deliver us, bring us back. And he begins to pray. Daniel prays the prophetic word. He wages New Testament now, a warfare with the prophetic word spoken over God's people. And he wages a warfare. So check this out now. This is so crazy. Come on, this is lit right here. In Daniel chapter five, can you put my picture up? In Daniel chapter five, they're having a big banquet. And this is a, a painting by Rembrandt. And I don't know if you could dim the lights a little bit because it's, it's beautiful. It's a painting by Rembrandt. And this is... Uh, Balthazar, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. It's not Nebuchadnezzar, it's the king after. Nebuchadnezzar became a werewolf and then came to the knowledge of God. Judgment came upon him. This is now the next king. And they had taken the articles of gold and the articles of the temple. The temple's destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it as in the hand of judgment because they weren't serving the Lord. And so judgment came. The prophetic word of Jeremiah 25, 70 years, they'll be in captivity this is the night, this is a painting of the night that the, the, the hand appears and writes on the wall. 
You can read the handwriting on the wall. That comes from this. Can you read the handwriting on the wall? It's like, this is obvious. So what happens is they're having this giant banquet and they pull out the silver and gold vessels from the temple and it's kind of like the last stinking straw. It's like the Lord's like, that's it. It all comes to this mass crescendo of the prophetic word of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, uh, God stirs this Cyrus. Now, I don't think Daniel knows anything about that. That's happening behind the scenes. And while Cyrus's heart is stirred, we read that. That's Ezra, Ezra 1 and, and, and verse 1 and in other places. The heart of Cyrus is stirred and he goes to fulfill the prophetic word, which he, some say he knew he was fulfilling, others say he does, that he didn't. And the prophetic word of Isaiah chapter 44 and as well as in other places. And so in Daniel 5, you can go look at this. Daniel 5, Daniel's called in because something crazy has happened at the party. And he comes in, I, I think they say he's maybe 70 years old. And he shows up and they did not understand what had happened. And a hand appears and writes on the wall, many, many tequila praise him. And everybody's free. Can you imagine if you're just partying and all of a sudden a hand shows up and writes on the wall? Everybody's freaked out. The, the banqueting hall is said to be a mile long. They had peacocks that would deliver things to people. The opulence and the gold, it, there's, there's nothing. I mean, Versailles might be a, something that would look similar. The amount of gold and silver is unprecedented even for today. An um, incredible amount of wealth. And so this hand appears, right? Many, many tequils appraise him. They're all freaked out. Ah, call that man a God. He's still alive. And Daniel comes in and he interprets the words. And the interpretation of the words, this is Daniel 5. He says, you've been weighed in the balance and found lacking. And then he interprets and says, the kingdom will be taken this night. The kingdom falls from your hand, is taken from your hands. Well, that exact moment. At the exact moment that the hand appeared, at the exact moment that Daniel the prophet shows up and, and interprets the word, Cyrus's armies are just outside the walls. This is history. This is history. Cyrus's army is just outside the walls of, of Babylon. And it is said by some uh, that the doors of the city were left open. And they crossed into the city and the whole place was so freaked out by the supernatural sign and wonder that there was hardly any bloodshed. I read in one, one account. And I don't know how they got the account there, but I mean, it's just kind of amazing. More gold and more silver were taken from Babylon. They said it could not be measured. And that's when Cyrus comes and this king is over and Cyrus makes a decree in accordance with a, with a prophecy 150 years before he was there and says, now send all the Jews back and rebuild the temple. Whoa. Oh, yeah, man, that book's written by man. Man wrote that book. Uh, what? You're an ignoramus. That's why you think that. And so they head back. And Psalm, Psalm there's, there's so much scripture tying into this, but Psalm 126, it, we were like men who dreamed, it says, where our mouths were filled with laughter as they returned from, can you imagine being in jail for 70 years and, and, and you return and your little ones are with you and you, you come upon, you know, Israel, just, whoa, ah, the prophetic words come to pass, amazing. I've had moments like that, I'm sure not like that, but 
similar. So soon after the foundations laid and the Jews arrived back in Jerusalem. But the building of the temple is delayed for 21 years. You say, why was it delayed? Because there were opposition. And the Samaritans, and, and I don't have a lot of time to tell you about all about the Samaritans, but the, the, Israel was the northern tribes, the ten tribes of the north were, were, were carried away, the tribes of the south, the Judah. It, it, it's just the, the diaspora and everything that had taken place. You had these Samaritans, they were, they were believers in God, but they had this mixture of religion. One of the the Assyria's ways of defeating a people, they would take some people from, from the land they just defeated and they'd transplant them somewhere else. Then they'd take people from that place that they defeated and put them in that land. Then they would intermarry and just basically destroy the culture. And they did that. And so Samaritans had this mixture, and that's why they were hated. That's why Jesus, you know, they said Jesus must needs go to Samaria. And the, the rabbis wouldn't go through Samaria because Samaritans were hated. And you can read about how they discouraged the building of the temple and they discouraged uh, Nehemiah. And so if you study this, this section of Scripture, now I'm going somewhere. I had to set it up here. You study this section of Scripture, you see that the Jews, the, the, the Samaritans, pardon me, the Samaritans wanted to, the Jews to compromise. They wanted to help. They, they, wouldn't even, they wouldn't let Samaritans be a part of the project. And the Samaritans are like, no. And they're like, no. We can't compromise. This is a sacred thing, and you're not, you're not a part of it. Samaritans used discouragement to stop the Jews. Anybody been through discouragement? Discouragement is an assignment from the enemy. If the enemy can get you to compromise, you're, you, then you'll lose the power of God in your life. If he can get you defiled, you know, you're, you're not going to have much power. If he can get you to compromise, if he can get you discouraged... You're in trouble. If you yield to fear, they used fear. They used discouragement. They used frustration. And they overcame the opposition. How did they overcome? They overcame by the word of the Lord that was prophesied through these prophets. They were challenged to continue on. I see the word of the Lord at times in my life and, I, and certainly this morning. Like my coach. Come on, you can do it. I said you can do it. You've trained for this thing. You're ready. I'm with you. You can do it. You can take the land. Come on, you can do it. I see the word of the Lord like that in my life. I see that like it, the word of the Lord like that in our church. Ezra 6 and 14, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet. And they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai. Let me read you some of these prophetic words. At the, and they were spoken at this time and used in application to bring encouragement. Haggai 1, in the second year of Darius, the sixth month, the first day of the, of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shantia, the governor of Judah, and to Yeshua or Joshua, depending upon what version you're reading. He says, the Lord of hosts, this is my people. The time has now come, the time for the Lord's house to be built. They were constantly encouraged. Verse 7 of that same chapter, verse 8. Go up to the mountains, bring down wood to the temple, says the Lord. For I take pleasure in it, it will be glorified. Haggai chapter 2. Be strong now, Zerubbabel. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong. Be strong. He says, verse 7, I will shake the nations and the desired... And what is desired by all nations will, will come. Now, what's desired by all nations is really a prophetic word about Jesus. He's the desire of all nations. 
and I'll fill this house with glory. They would, they would prophesy and they would preach. And through the prophesying and the preaching, it would stir a zeal in the hearts of the people to go out and overcome compromise, go out and overcome discouragement, go out and overcome fear. It would stir within them holy emotions, knowing that they were a part of the plan of God, this prophetic word, 150 years before, and Jeremiah 25, and, and the coming out of the captivity, and, and to stir them to do the work that God called them to do. I feel the same way at many times in my life. I understand in Acts 17 that God sets us in time. He sets us for the boundaries of where we are. And he wants to use you. He wants to use your sons and daughters. He wants to use me. He wants to use us as a company of people to fulfill his plan in the earth. That the earth, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I'm not talking about a little patty cake party for Jesus. And that you just come to church and just be like, well, I fulfilled my religious obligation. Know that you would be stirred. That every time you come and every time you open the word and times of prayer would stir in you the zeal of the house of the Lord to fulfill the plan of God for your life. God's got a plan. God has a purpose for you. You're not an accident. Oh, you might have been told that by your mama or by your dad. They didn't know. He knit you together while you're in your mother's womb and you have a purpose individually. A divine assignment. And we have a purpose corporately, a divine assignment. And that is to reach the lost at any cost. It's to expand the kingdom of God, to heal the sick and set the captives free. The church is supposed to be the house of God. Now in the New Testament, come on, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit individually. He lives on the inside of you if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he comes to take up residence. Corporately, together, we are the temple of God as the nias of God, the dwelling place of God. Jesus called the church the ecclesia, which is a governing body that would be called out in Roman culture. And when they would vote, then that would then become law and it would then be administered and it would then be held in place as something that would have to take place because the ecclesia voted. When, when Jesus called us the ecclesia, the church, translated in English, church, ecclesia. He didn't use that by some random act. He used it because he understood that people who were brought out of darkness into the marvelous light would be filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And he knew that we had his word. And he knew that when we prayed, he would hear from heaven and answer. He knew that if a people could come together in their God-given understanding of, of, of the time and the hour in which they live to bring the kingdom of God to where they are in that generation, even from generation to generation, and the kingdom of God would be expanded. Oh, I know they told you that Islam's the fastest growing religion. They're lying. They lie. This is fake news. Now the fastest growing religion in the world is Christianity by far. You don't believe every report and poll that comes out. My God. Come on, lift your hands to Jesus and say, man, God's got a plan and a purpose for me. Yes, he does say God's got a plan and a purpose for us. Wow. I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah now. Zechariah chapter 4. If you'd find that for me, thank you. Zechariah chapter 4. Now years ago, I think the year, it was 2004, 2005, 
I was 70 pounds heavier and uh, living in Hawaii. And I was training for a foot race. It was a, uh, it was a, a 5K. And uh, training for a race because I had the opportunity of uh, running with my father on Thanksgiving, uh, during Thanksgiving time. And uh, we were going to take a trip to Florida and we had signed up for this race. And I was excited about it because I figure I was 40-something. <laughs> and I was excited because I figured now I'm finally going to be able to beat my 70-year-old father in a race because I could never beat him. Like running, I could never, he was faster than me. And I mean, I, that's, it was like, you know, potentially discouraging if you're, you know, high school and college and your father still can out-sprint you and outrun you. So that was the case. Amen. I have other gifts he doesn't have. Hallelujah. <laughs> But, but I figured, now's my shot, man. And I just, you know, I just wanted to beat him and go, hey, good job, Dad. Right on. In case you're getting old then, huh? <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that just me? Okay. So I'm excited to beat my father, so I start training. And, uh, and, and as I'm, I'm training, I'm trying to eat right. That wasn't working so good, but I was training hard. And uh, my knees were hurting a lot. And, and I think I broke places of concrete as I ran. And uh, I had an open vision as I was running. All of a sudden, like, what, what, what do you mean open vision? I mean, like, I wasn't sleeping. I was awake. And the power of the Holy Spirit fell on me on some back road next to a street called AI, which is another message, same spelling out of Book of Joshua. And I'm standing at this crossroads with this street AI going off to my right. Power of God hits me, and, and all of my vision changes. It peels away, and I see Alaska, and I see this pipeline. <laughs> Sorry, I'll be right back. Let's take a praise break. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I see this pipeline, and I hear the voice of the Lord say in the same way that there's a pipeline from the North Slope to Valdez. I'm bringing a pipeline of the golden oil of Zechariah to, to Alaska, and there's a great revival, and it's going to pour out over Alaska, over into Canada, over into Russia, pour out into the lower 48, out into the Northwest, I'm bringing this revival, and I'm sending you. I want you to be a part of it. That was it. And I saw a school. I saw, I saw the King's School of Ministry, which we have right now, and taking applications. If you want to be a part of that, it's happening now. And uh, I saw a church. I saw a massive church. I saw thousands of people saved. I saw the power of God being poured out everywhere. And I, it arrested me. And I knew after that, oh, my God, we're going to, going to Alaska. Oh, oh. I went back and told my wife and, had a number of supernatural things happen to confirm that. I know you want to hear about the race. So <laughs> went to the, you know, Florida, and we got our little name tag and our, you know, to go run the race so I could beat my father. And uh, around mile three, I'm just hanging on, and my father's talking with a friend of his, breathing through his nose, and I'm about ready to fall out and call the ambulance. <laughs> And I let him go and said, well, praise the Lord. God, I knew I probably shouldn't eat that chocolate cake. Or, you know. But the good news and the, the, the takeaway, the redemptive moment for me was all during that race, there was like a nine-year-old that would pass me and then I would pass her and I'd pass her, go back and forth. And during that last, the last, you know, 
300 yards. We had walked the course, so I knew where I could turn on my jets, you know, and give it everything I got and fall across the finish line. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you can sprint from right here. All right, so I figured that place out. I get to that place, and it's kind of sports are sort of mental for me. So even though I felt like I wanted to quit and my lungs were probably on the outside, I think I was holding one of my lungs. I got to the sprinting place, and I just turned it on. And I'm running, and when I run, I'm, I'm unorthodox. I, it's not a pretty runner. It's, uh, my, my coach called me a Clydesdale. And so I'm running with everything I have. And if you're a runner or a racer, you, you, you know, you'd pick somebody. I'm going to beat that person. And as soon as you start getting up them, you might pick the person in front of that. And as you, so I'm running. I beat this one person I'm after, and I run past this guy who screams, honey, watch out! And I see the little nine-year-old girl. And I beat her. Come on! Yes! The guy that yelled, the guy that yelled was her father. And she turns around. Anyway, we should probably get back to the text. Where are we? Zechariah chapter 4. So I did not know at that time of the vision. I just wanted to give you the story to just, you know, just help you a little bit. If it doesn't apply to what I'm preaching, you just take it as an isolated whole, okay? All right. So I did not know in Zechariah 4. I didn't even know what, like, the golden oil was. I think I'd heard maybe, I've read through it by that time, but I, I never studied it really. And I never really understood anything about the book of Zechariah. So I come to understand Zechariah 4. Now I want to read this to you. Zechariah chapter 4, I want you to go do verse 1. And the angel who talked with me, this is the NIV now, returned and woke me up like someone who wakened from his sleep. And he asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a golden lampstand with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, one on the left and I asked the angel who talked to me, what are these, Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, he replied. I replied. So he said to me, these, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mountain, mighty mountain before Zerubbabel? You'll become level ground. And he, be, and he will bring out the capstone. That's the final stone that will be set in place. And the building, in other words, the temple he's talking about. He'll bring out the final stone set in place with shouts of grace, grace is the new King James. And that's the one that I quote all the time. So if you hear me, come on, say grace, grace. And I ask you to prove you're driving by. You say grace, grace. It comes from this text. And the NIV says, God bless it. God bless it. But grace, grace is a better translation. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Wow. Go to verse 11, then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And I asked him, what are these, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? And he replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord. I said, so he, he said, 
These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. They are Zerubbabel and Joshua, the two leaders. The two olive trees tie into Revelation chapter 11 in a very profound way. When I began to study what this meant to me and with the call of God upon my life and the call of God upon this church, I understood it was about building the house of the Lord. Now let me define that. The building of the house of the Lord is building people. It's, it's, it's reaching the lost. It's equipping the saints. And, but it's also, come on, a house of, of prayer. My house will be a house of prayer. And as we contended for miracles and moving forward here, God did a number of amazing things for us. Amen. Pastor Karen, I want you to come, please, take that microphone and read the prophetic word spoken by Cindy Jacobs in 2002. Now, we did not discover this prophetic word until later on after we had started our, our project. And in 2002, I was in the congregation. I remember when this was read, and you're going to read it with unction. Try to sound like Cindy if you can. Okay. You want to unmute her mic, please. So, so you're going to read that. At the end, when she finished it, and, it's, and you can take that to the bank, the power of God hit the congregation. And I remember my hair in the spirit. <laughs> I mean, I was really rocked. I was really impacted. This is a prophetic word spoken over our property. Right. We were still there in a barn. Right. Years later, we would sell it. Many would get discouraged and be like, what about the prophecy? Actually, there's a whole stack of prophecies. Right. <laughs> I'm just choosing this one. And, and then we purchased this place and moved in. And then years later, God stirred the heart of Cyrus and gave us that property back, and we're in the midst of it. I want you to hear this. Pastor Karen, go ahead. You will build a glorious building, and it will be beautiful. Sometimes people will question why you were doing it. They will even accuse you of pride. But the Lord says, build a place that people will drive by and say, what is that? What is that? Because it is so lovely. The Lord shows me that it will be like when people brought gifts to build the tabernacle. You have not leapt out too far financially. You have not bitten off more than you can chew because the Lord is showing me that the people you are affiliated with will prosper. That's you. There will be an anointing of prosperity. They will give way beyond their tithe. The Lord says the money is there. He has chosen the architect. He has chosen everything Hallelujah. that you need. The Lord says, build a beautiful building for my glory so people would want to drive by it just to see what is there. Not only that, but there will be a 24-hour house of prayer. My, my, my. The Lord says that the fire will never go out on the altar. The Lord says, build the building around the theme of pr the prayer room. Hallelujah. The Lord says, you build the altar and the fire of prayer and everything will go as it should. The Lord is going to give you favor with the city government and city oh, planners. So small. City planners. I can't read that. So sorry. It's so small. Satan has meant to give you much opposition on this, but the Lord says, I am opposing your opposers. Hallelujah. And you can take that to the bank. Come on, give a great shout to God. Come on. Come on. Give a shout to God. Come on, give a shout to God. Come on. We're not just building a building. We're building the kingdom of God. Can you say hallelujah? All right, wonderful. You can be seated. In September, and if I had it, I'd play it for you, but, but, but I don't. 
We'll see if we can get that together in the weeks to come. In September, we went to the prophetic conference in Maui, as we do every year. Jim LaFoon is going to be coming up this, sun, this summer. Jim LaFoon was just about ready to preach. Now, he's been prophesying over me and my family for 20-plus years. And so he, before he preaches, pulls me inside and says, so Danny, Danny, come here. And he calls Karen, come here. And he sits us down on the front row. And it's like he's going to be preaching in the next 60 seconds. He says, the Lord showed me a number of things. And he talked about the, the, the great trial and grief uh, of the death of our beloved Wally and Lauren, their daughter, passing. He talked about some phantom things that the enemy is trying to do to bring discouragement, to bring fear. He talked about some of the things that the enemy, the Samaritans, if I could just say it that way, and the spirit were trying to attack us with. It was with incredible accuracy. And he even talked about this carpal tunnel thing that my wife got overnight. One night, she, one night she basically woke up with carpal tunnel. And, and it's uh, almost gone. 100% she's being healed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Almost gone. Almost, almost gone. Amen. And then he says, and I've got this one scripture for you. God gave it to me. He says, uh, it's in the book of Zechariah. I thought, oh, it's in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. And he's like, it's Zechariah 4. I'm like, oh, it's Zechariah 4. And he starts reading. Now, by that time, I can't even hear him. I can't hear him because the power of God is resting on us. And I realize that somehow, in the amazing plan of God, that I've been caught up in this stream of prophetic fulfillment, not just for my life. My life's just, a, it's not just my life and my family. It's for a region. And you know what? It's not even just for a region. It's for the nations. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go there. Here, here's what, here's what um, Chuck Pierce said. God is crowning Alaska and allowing the opportunity for him to be enthroned high. He's shifting the atmosphere and ushering in a powerful move of the Spirit of God for the entire United States of America. The battles are real in this ancient and pristine land. But the Father's hand is resting on Alaska and His heart is moved as her people move into His presence to deliver a nation. Isaiah 14 and verse 26. This is a purpose that was purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is outstretched over all the nations. Alaska is positioned to release the purposes of the Lord as he stretches his hand out over a nation and the nations of the world. I want you to know this. If you're alive and you're breathing and you're living in this state right now, you're here. God has called you to be a part of the greatest move of God that there has ever been. How can you say that? Because I can say it biblically. The fullness of the Gentiles will come. I'm not being arrogant to say that, oh, God's just using our church. God's using His church. He's using the body of Christ. And we're building this facility. Now, I want you to pass out these cards. We Pass out these cards, please. We've given the project a name. Guess what we called it? This is your clue to put the slide up. Ready, set, go. Project Zach, it'll get there. There it is. That's what we're calling it. Guess where we got the name from? Because the building of this, this church, again, it's not about a building. It's about a people. And not just the people of Alaska. It's about the nations. 
We are going to plant churches all over the world. We're going to continue to cause our school to flourish. We're going to plant churches all over Alaska. And we're going to see the greatest move of the Spirit of God. And I say it that way because there is something what, what eschatology, the study of the end times, the study in the end, there's going to come what's called the fullness of the Gentiles. Then there's going to come, a, there's a great falling away also. Tribulation, so on and so forth. More people are coming to the knowledge of Christ than ever before. We're going to finish this building. It's like building the temple, if I can look at it that way. And it's going to be done with shouts of grace, grace. And God's going to use us. He's going to, he's going to prosper me in such a way that I'll be able to be used as a conduit for which the golden oil will flow. He's going to, he's going to bless me. Come on, make that personal. Come on, he's going to bless me. Say it. He's going to bless me so that the golden oil will flow through. The two trees are a picture of leadership. Again, Revelation 11, you can tie the two together. They're very similar. And, and the two trees are a picture of godly leadership. Not, not any one leader. Many leaders it represents. The golden oil is, the, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the oil that would flow to the lamp, which is a picture of the menorah, which is also a picture of the remnant that returned to build. I'm telling you, there's a remnant. There's a people that God is summoning from the furthest places of the earth to be a part of this great end time harvest. To do something for God that would last like a legacy from generation to generation should the Lord tarry. We don't understand the time and the hour, but I'm so grateful to labor, co-labor with you and Him together to build the kingdom. We're going to see thousands saved. Can you say amen? All right, you got a prayer card now. Take that. Put it in your Bible. Put it up on your fridge. You begin to pray that. You'll be a part of the different things here. And this is the very start. Oh, I want my slide back up. Just leave it up until Jesus comes. Project Zek. Project Zek, let's call it. You're like, I don't really understand. Well, that's because you and I are a little bit older. It's kind of a, kind of a newer name to it. Hey, Ben. If you don't have, if you don't reach the, you don't reach the millennials and the Gen, the Gen Zers, you're going to close. I'm going to say that over here. We're not going to close, Pastor Vince. We're going to pass the baton on should the Lord tarry. I have to pry it out of my dead, cold hands, however. Hallelujah. I'm going all the way. Come on, anybody else going to go all the way? I will say this. I feel impressed to say this. One of the reasons churches die is because the leading guy holds on to that baton too long. Should the Lord tarry, there's going to be other preachers and pastors and people that are raised up and, and you know, we just get to like cheer them on, maybe go to heaven and cheer on from the banister of glory. But I, I don't know the timing of it all, but I'm committed to seeing the house of the Lord built. And by that, I mean the kingdom of God. And I'm just telling you, the building is a tool. And we built it by what we need. So it, it, it really, it has room to grow because we can go to multiple services. We'd fill the sanctuary right now. It's over 1,200 people in the sanctuary. Lobby, which, I mean, just, it, it, the place is beautiful. We've got video and different things here to become rolling out. Now, let me just encourage you one more thing, and then we're going to ask you if you're right with God, and then we'll close our service. Apply this to your life. God knows, to, He knows the plans that He has for you. He's got amazing plans. He wants to bless you, bless your family, bless your children. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants you to be like a trophy of His grace. He wants to build you and your family. 
So that when people see you, they're like, man, what do you have? And you say, oh, I've got Jesus. What do you do in Sunday? I was, I was at the gym and this, I heard this lady's talking. You need to come to my church. She, and he's like, yeah, we'll see. So I'm busy on Sunday. What are you busy? He said, like, I'm busy in the morning. Well, we have a service at 9. And he said, no, I can't make it. We have a, we have a service at 11. No, I can't go. He's like, well, we, we have a 1 o'clock. And he's like, we have a 6 p.m. too. He's like, and that guy over there, that's my pastor. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> Would you reach people? Reach people. Why? Because it's God's plan for them to be blessed in their life. It's God's plan to expand the kingdom. Can you say hallelujah? All right. On the 26th, we'll have a miracle service. On the 26th, I'm giving you a card, uh, commitment cards, so that you can pray and believe God of what you want to do above and beyond your tithe to see the building grow. We, the, God is going to cause people to be supernaturally prospered. Can you say amen? So you begin to pray now as you're fasting, God, what do you want to do through me? those cards come. We're going to see where we're at. We've got millions of dollars that need to be released, and God's going to release it through me and through you. Can you say hallelujah? And, and what a legacy we'll leave should the Lord tarry. There are generations of buildings built to last for hundreds of years. It's off-grid, basically off-grid, on, or all on electric, or producing our own heat. Produce, uh, we have our own. I mean, the, the thing could be basically off-grid. It is an amazing facility. You'll be hearing more about that. You'll be seeing videos. This all begins, you know why? Because it'll be done with shouts of December 2020. Can you say that? December. Lift your hands and give praise to God all across this place. You take this card home and you seek the Lord and you'll be a part of it. Amen. Come on, stand up on your feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Again, don't forget, it's about souls. Don't you leave this place and be like, they just kind of build a building. We're trying to get the whole place saved and set free. We're trying to reap. We are going to do it. God is going to do it. From Alaska will come a mighty shout of salvation, healing, and deliverance. Can you say amen? Can you say a better amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God, you're here in this place, and you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time, or you want to recommit to him because you drifted, you're not as on fire as you used to be, and you want to come home. Those online, those here, you say, that's me, Pastor. Well, thank you for your honesty. Pray this with me, won't you? Right out loud. All across this place, those online say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart. Come into my life and be my Lord be my Savior. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.